0: Welcome to Data Beats. If you haven't already, do check out our free newsletter on databeats.community. So joining us today is Boris Jubes, the founder and CEO of Census. And today, Boris and I are going to talk about the rapid evolution of Reverse ETL. So, hey, Boris, thanks for joining. It's
1: great to be here, Arpit. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to have you uh, on the show, Boris. So... You know, let's start from the beginning. We first spoke uh, in the August of, of 2020.
1: Good memory. You
0: know, I I actually remember it was August 24th of 2020. Um, and, um, you know, I was heading growth at Integramat. I remember right. telling you, you know, we were growing really fast, but our data infrastructure was too basic to support our fast growth. We didn't really have the budget for a CDP and we just set up Snowflake. You introduced me to reverse ETL. Uh, and in your words, the idea of building a CDP out of the warehouse, right? That was really fascinating to me uh, at at the time. And uh, in three years now, you know, fast forward to today, Reverse ETL is rapidly becoming, you know, a feature that's table stakes for all of MarTech, right? So from my vantage point, you know, Reverse ETL was just a primer to something much bigger, like a much bigger vision. So please tell us about that vision and how you and your co-founders narrowed it down to Reverse ETL when
1: you were just getting started. Yeah, yeah, that's a great it's oh, a great story to remember how we first met and like what a different time that was uh, in August 2020, uh, just both in the world and in in our lives. Yeah, my my co-founders and I when we when we started Census, we didn't wake up saying we should build something called reverse ETL or or you know th- that's not really where our minds were. We just wanted to solve something kind of really common and fundamental in in all companies that we had been in and that we had talked to, which is that getting customer data into every business tool seemed difficult and consistent, good, useful, actionable customer data, right? We weren't trying to say, let's, let's build a data pipeline company or anything like that. We really wanted to help solve uh, these, these business problems that we found people like humans on growth teams, uh, ops teams, marketing teams, sales ops teams were just under leveraged. And so the idea was not just to say, let's help them move some data into those tools. It was actually to help them you know drive the business. And so what became Reverse ETL at the beginning was really just the, the narrowest version of that, right? Yeah. And yeah. so when you and I met, it was around the time, you know, kind of like the year we had launched. Yeah. We really enabled very specific, you know, we worked with a couple of data warehouses at the time. I think it was like three or four, Maybe five. And and we really helped push data into a specific set of kind of core tools, whether that was a Salesforce or a you know a Marketo or a few others. And that would help a sales or a marketing team, you know, get get key information about product, uh, especially product. But that that you know, the goal was again, not just to build a pipe, was actually for us the long vision was the long-term vision was always to help companies and people in companies leverage any data they have to be and make it actionable. Mm-hmm. So today, right, that, that has now expanded, like you said, to kind of what you call all of MarTech. It's really the entire marketing organization can be turbocharged with better data. Yeah, And then even the go-to-market organization, if you think of the modern kind of customer journey, it spans beyond just one department. And so getting all of those uh, departments to be able to activate data is really really valuable
0: awesome so now besides the adoption of the of the cloud data warehouse what else in your opinion has contributed to the rapid evolution and adoption of
1: reverse etl i think there's three things that i can think of that have had you know an accelerating effect on on the adoption okay one is kind of implied by what you said It's the obvious thing there's been 10 plus years of bi and apis who have laid a foundation There's all this data that's sitting there, but people want to act on it, right? And census became this missing link between, you know, having data and using data. And you can connect a a source of truth, right, to like applications because they have an open API. So that's probably like the first basic fuel. But I think there's two other things that people don't tend to think about that have had a huge uh, kind of accelerating effect. So the first is over the last decade, the customer journey to use, you know, kind of the, the term of art has become tremendously more complex. Yeah. Now, a, cost, a company like that sells a product on the internet, right? We'll have millions of users like casually and they'll be in, you know, hundreds of countries and here's the key, dozens of channels, right? Dozens of applications. So if 10 years ago you were running a, an e-commerce website, you know, it was like direct purchase and the attribution was simple. But now, take a B2B uh, sales cycle. It's multi touch point, multi-stakeholder. If you're a consumer product, people will see 10 different ads in 10 different channels and and the customer experience spans a much longer time. You might have them uh, interact with your support team and then your CS team and then your marketing team and then maybe again your sales team and then your product team. (laughs) All of them will want to interact with this user over a huge span of time because they start free and then they go into a paid plan and then they end up in an enterprise organizational plan. These things force you to a place where I need a central brokerage of data that I can create a a correct personalized experience. And then finally, it's less maybe exciting, but it's absolutely had an effect, is privacy, right? So pixels and cookies are kind of disappearing or half gone. And again, the easy mode went away, right? The easy mode of slap the Facebook pixel on your website and you're basically done is gone. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and so you, you have to do something more. You have to join data from multiple sources to, to do something.
0: Yeah. Um, that's awesome. We'll definitely get to privacy in a minute. Okay. So moving forward, um, I'm not fond of the term non-technical, right? Because I believe everyone who works in tech, you know, has some level of technical aptitude. And I say this because I'm extremely passionate about technologies that beat the gap between the technical and the semi-technical, Right. And uh, when we spoke uh, the first time, I remember uh, when you explained to me how census worked, I mm-hmm. remember telling you that, you know, I can learn SQL if I have a use case for it in my day-to-day. I just don't, right? Um, but guess what? I, I ended up learning SQL and I think it's obviously very useful. But at the same time, I don't think growth and marketing people need to, you know, become really good at SQL because, you know, writing queries and debugging queries is just not the best use of their time and talent, right? Um, yeah. So... So keeping that in mind, right, how does a data activation tool like census sort of enable these non-data people working in GTM roles? So, you know, folks like me back in the day to do more with data to power personalization across audience touch points.
1: So I completely agree with you that people should be able to be successful in the in the tools and techniques that they know. It's one of the reasons we're moving beyond kind of just this idea of reverse CTL and SQL-based, di- you know, data access. I want to make data accessible to everyone in the organization. That that has always been the goal of the company, and so Audience Hub is a point-and-click segmentation experience, right? Now it handles a lot of depth under the covers because our system has has a context around what is related to to, to what, right? So you know, if you have a purchases, let's call it object model versus a user object model, we can relate those two under the covers. And so there's lots of little places where even someone like you now can come in, use the the, the tooling that you as a, you know, as you say, a GTM person were most comfortable with. Yeah. But actually, there's all sorts of places where you can pop under the hood here and there yeah. and and do it with a little bit of code. And so that's kind of the the, the way we're, we're trying to design the product and, and reduce the kind of compromise you have to make between those two universes.
0: And so just, uh, you know, continuing the conversation about, you know, how can a marketer take that actionable data um, and then, you know, basically put it to action in in downstream systems and GTM tools that they use in their day-to-day, right, to power personalization. What does that process look like? Like, do people go inside census and set up those sinks, or uh, do non-data people always wait for the data to
1: land in their um, downstream systems? I mean, I think if if you care about improving your customer experience or, or driving growth, you, you should not wait on anything. You should go yeah. do. And, and so that's the whole point, right? Census doesn't, yeah. you don't have to wait. and You can go in and do it yourself. Uh, I would say every company I've seen, you know, they use some data today, right? to 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 make campaigns slightly more targeted and more personalized. It's not like people don't do anything. But often what I see is they're using maybe, you know, like, 10 fields, you know, 10 columns on a customer. Like, oh, they became a customer or they opened an email or they purchased an item. You know, you've got some amount of, of data. But what Census allows you to do so easily is to go from, you know, a handful like that of, let's say, 10 fields and go to 50 fields, you know, 50 different things about what you know about a customer. That's what it makes you, it okay. gives you as, a, as an ability. So that can be things like more behavioral data from product usage. It can be data from outside, uh, outside of marketing, like support tickets or offline conversions, like things that happen in the physical world or subscription data or third party data. There's all sorts of places where you can get that extra knowledge about your users. And I assure you that, you know, you can, th- there's no limit to kind of how much information y- you can personalize with. So I'll give you one, one or two examples just so it's concrete for people, right? Because I, I do think people should, should go build more tactical campaigns. Yeah. So Canva is a company with 125 million monthly active users. And they send very granular data to their email uh, and and mobile uh, marketing tool, which is Braze. And so that allows them to send messages like, congratulations on creating your 10th design. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or you started a presentation but didn't finish. How can we help, right? Yep. Those are the kinds of campaigns that really you need to do beyond the, hi, welcome to our product, Right.
0: I mean, I wanted to implement a lot of this stuff um, back in the day at Integromat and I, I actually took it for granted, like, oh, this this stuff should be easy, right? Um, but it wasn't. And I was really surprised that even like simple stuff, like, you know, if I, I actually wanted to make sure that people like users, customers who have an open ticket, don't right. receive an email from one of my uh, campaigns, right? Because it's annoying, right? Like you it's have annoying. a ticket, your ticket yeah. hasn't been resolved and you receive an email saying, hey, did you check out this 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 feature, right? Which is... Ridiculous, right? Uh, but it was hard
1: to like just make that workflow happen, right? Yeah, I think that's a great example of, I bet you virtually no company does that. And that's crazy, right? Because I, it just requires like a, yeah. one extra kind of field, right? Has open active, you know, support ticket. Exactly. And then you can make a campaign on that. Yeah.
0: That's what I thought. Like it should be so easy, but it, was, it really wasn't, you know, getting that no. data from Zendesk and, you know, sending it to customer IO and making sure that it all works wasn't yeah. easy, right? But it should yeah. be, it should be. So, well, this, is, this has been great, Boris. Um, I mean, I think we could keep talking about this, but I think it's really important to to also uh, touch upon um, privacy, right? Um, it's been three yeah. years since you introduced Reverse ETL. And of course, Reverse ETL relies on, on the data warehouse and all the data being in the warehouse. So, you know, from a privacy perspective, what is the biggest advantage um, and, and also like the biggest downside of centralizing all the data In the warehouse.
1: I think it's a great question. And I think I think it's only going to get bigger, right? Not just for regulatory reasons, but I think consumer secular kind Mm -hmm. of trends around people care about this. So I think the advantages, let's just list them. They are actually pretty massive to this approach. Because you control all the data if it sits in your data warehouse. It is a repository that you control uh, that is unbelievably flexible. So you can build whatever rules you want it's very easy to find all the information about a single person for compliance. So if someone asks, what do you know about me? Well, guess what a data warehouse is uniquely good at? It's joining disparate sources of data together. Like that's, you know, that's the whole point. If you did that support ticket scenario, it means you now have a, a relationship between the support tool data and the, you know, marketing tool data. Yeah. And then it's third, you know, it's much easier to delete everywhere. Because if you have one place to figure out what you know about a person and then they say delete me, then something like Census can come in and say, well, we can do that. Right? Because we okay. do it out of this single kind of choke point. So the advantages are really significant, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to your point, in all things in engineering, there are trade-offs. So I would say the biggest disadvantage or trade-off you have to make with this architecture when it comes to privacy is, it's a little subtle, but a lot of companies have historically handled permissions internally in their company by application so whoever has access to salesforce they see these things whoever has access to customer io sees these things and that was enough to kind of think about your compliance in that way and that no longer works so you have to do all of the permissioning inside one system which is the warehouse so you have to think about it kind of logically rather than physically if that makes sense And which is is definitely like not a trivial problem when you start having a company with enough humans in it that can all access data. Awesome.
0: Thank you, Boris. Um, Thanks for your time and you have a great day. Thank you. Help beat the gap between data people and non-data people for good. Join us on databeats.community.